Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Form3.tech podcast. My name is Adelina Simeon, and I'm a technology evangelist at Form3. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Moritz and Lucas, who will be telling us about their work as open source maintainers. How's it going today, both? Pretty good. Thanks. Very nice. Thank you. You know, I'm really excited to have you both on the podcast and shed some light into the life of an open source maintainer. Shall we start with some introductions uh, so you can tell us a little bit about your background and how you started with contributing to open source? Let's start with you, Moritz. Sure. Hey. Um, so yeah, my name is Moritz. I work for Form3 and I have like roughly like 10 years of experience in, in the tech industry. I I studied um, like media technology, which is like not related at all with uh, engineering or software engineering, something like that. I um, kind of somehow made that uh, made it into the engineering, um, like as sort of a side gig. And I worked for like different different companies. Like I started at a web agency and then went to a fintech startup. I did consulting for a couple of years and yeah, and like a lot of different areas like uh, banking, insurance, uh, media company. And I also um, was a Linux Foundation trainer uh, for these Kubernetes kinds of um, um, courses that they offer. And yeah, I joined Form3 about a year ago, and I'm now at the Containers team. So we're providing like a um, cloud agnostic um, Kubernetes experience for the other teams um, across different cloud providers and also on-premises. And made my way into open source um, when I did the consulting thing. Um, so I was at a at a large media corporation and they had this large enterprise enterprise um, AWS setup where like each team has like multiple AWS accounts and we had to make that work. So I've built a, a Kubernetes um, platform for them and we had to make it work um, across AWS accounts. So at that point in time, that was maybe 2018, 2019, something um, around those lines. And most projects like external DNS, uh, cert manager, and others, they didn't support that to like assume a role in a different AWS account, stuff like that. So that's what I when I contributed to the first open source project in the Kubernetes space. And um, at some point, I also had to provide that feature to Kubernetes external secrets, which was a, a de facto Kubernetes secrets management syncing solution at that point in time, like 2018, 2019, something like that. And a very special moment was like I I made that feature it got it got merged in and stuff like that and at some point um, the maintainer at that point in time Marcus Maga um, he asked me to to do a review on a follow up PR that was like based on top of my feature that got merged in so that's um, when I just asked to review someone else's code um, which like big and that kind of like uh, sucked me into this whole open source thing then I. You know, came back to the project, reviewed issues, um, and made some comments on, on issues, and, and helped people to to run this thing. And eventually, I found um, an issue where multiple um, secrets management solutions just discussed um, whether they can merge or not, and that's where I met Lucas. Cool. Well, I'm really excited that you've joined Form Three because you have so much knowledge around Kubernetes, and that's something that we obviously use heavily. Can you give us an introduction to yourself as well, Lucas? Sure, sure. Thanks. Yeah, so my name is Lucas. Right now I'm a software engineer at Red Hat. Before Red Hat, I wasn't working much with development. I was mostly working with DevOps, site reliability engineering, system administration. So it was like a migration in a way for me to work with like infrastructure, architecting infrastructure and maintaining infrastructure to like open source development. 
my introduction to open source, like uh, Moritz said, was in this discussion that we had, like, okay, there are a lot of, of solutions that basically do the same thing, this thing about synchronizing secrets from external providers into Kubernetes. And it doesn't make sense like, to, to have all this effort being spread around and we should be like focusing on a single solution and like thinking about how this solution would look like and be useful to to all the users that we are speaking with. And uh, at Container Solutions, I was working for this consultancy, Container Solutions, at the time, and we had a a, a project that was actually called External Secrets Operator. So that's a bit confusing because now we use the same name for the new tool. <laughs> and yeah, we had this tool because of. Similar to what Modit said, like we had clients with like huge setups, like across across accounts, and like uh, having this problem, these secrets being like all over the place, and they didn't know what to do with that, and they needed a central solution to synchronize these secrets, and this was developed then there, and then we made uh, we saw the mention of like merging, and we got involved, they started discussing, and then got a bit more interested in being part of the project. So it was, it's funny to me that uh, Moritz was also working for a consultancy. I was working for a consultancy at the time. And then we started our, our first steps in open source in a similar way. But yeah, Moritz started the discussion and then we follow along. It seems like you are both solving kind of the same problem of secret management for different clients in your consulting roles. Can you give our listeners and me, frankly, because I'm also confused, what is secret management and how do you do it well? And especially how do you do it in the context of Kubernetes? So do you want to start us off with with your thoughts, Lucas? Yes, yes, sure. So secret management is everything you do around secrets. So how do you create secrets? How do you rotate them? How do you give access to a new secret? Or if you are onboarding someone, how do you do give access to someone uh, that is new to your team? If a secret get leaked, gets leaked, or like all your secrets get gets leaked, like how do you control that? How do you how do you respond to, to to some security issues like that? And everything around secrets, like how do you manage it, uh, will be secrets management. But then there's something that I was discussing with Moritz before, like uh, this word secrets. Especially interesting to me because in Portuguese we don't have a, a translation for this. So we have of course segredo like secret, but we don't use in the tech in the same way. When we are talking about secrets, we are talking about the specifics like okay, credentials. We are talking about uh, passwords, uh, about keys, about tokens, about certificates specifically. But we don't have, at least that I know, a word that like encompasses everything. So I think it's nice to to define it like secrets are these things. So passwords, keys, uh, certificates, uh, tokens, everything that is has this this vibe of a lock and a key. So something that you use to unlock something, something that you use to give access to something, something that you use to like give permissions, like make people be able to do something. So it's important to protect this because it's powerful to have access to this. So this is what will let you, uh, I don't know, uh, control a, a whole Kubernetes cluster or, or, or your whole AWS account or this kind of thing. So this is a secret and everything that you do around the controlling and protecting and giving access and distributing secrets 
It's secrets man management. And then secrets management in the context of Kubernetes, like, uh, and this is very close to our project because we do synchronization of secrets. It's, well, basically how you get secrets into, into your project inside of Kubernetes. How do you control access inside of this? Like, let's say a Kubernetes cluster. Yeah, how do you isolate things? So uh, if you are, have a multi-tenant setup, how secrets are in a project and, and in another tenant or in another cluster, in another namespace, and how you control like who has access to what. And then there, I, I think, Moritz, uh, you can speak a bit more about that. There's secrets, of course, outside of Kubernetes, right? Yeah, I, I guess secrets management sounds like a pretty simple problem to solve but in fact it's it's pretty hard because you have secrets in so many different places you have it on like development laptops where people the developers create their initial features like on on a local branch maybe um, they probably have access to some sort of um, development kubernetes cluster um, they have access to i don't know some probably some sort of like microsoft account they probably have access to some slack um they do some sort of single sign-on on that laptop and like all these kinds of things that um, that they access, they, they relate to secrets management because they have some token on their laptop that allows them to access these um, these kinds of services. And that, that continues in the CI-CD pipeline. You also have these sort of credentials that you use to, you know, build a container and then just push it to some registry so you, you need, need a token there as well. Um, thankfully, you can do that today with, with OpenID Connect, which is like, super cool thing to do so you don't have to like static secrets that you use in these um, sort of environments uh, but then but you have it like in, in other environment environments as well like in some production environment or staging environment where you then have you know like all these API keys and maybe uh, public key infrastructure and private keys that you need to sign certificates and stuff like that so it's like pretty much all over the place and it's like there are like a lot of different places that you that you use it, and also the kinds of secrets that you have are also like differ from place to place. So you have tokens which um, expire at some point in time. They may be valid for two hours. Like if a developer accesses some cloud resource, that token probably expires after two or maybe twelve hours. Um, other tokens maybe they they don't expire as all, at all. So you have you have a slight difference um, in that in that sense, and other secrets or credentials that you create um, maybe are internal or external. So sometimes you have a dependency on some external entity. For instance, if you want to get your certificates signed by an external certificate authority like VeriSign or DigiCert or what have you, um, then you depend on them that you get a signed certificate. And if you need to rotate that certificate or revoke that certificate, you depend on them. So it's also like a pretty important thing to keep in mind. And it's again, it, it sounds pretty simple to do secrets management, like an apt-get install secrets management and you're done, but it's not that easy. It depends on how you authenticate your users, your laptops, um, the, your access matrix that you have in your organization that allows different roles in your organization to access particular points in your infrastructure and consume different services. Yeah, and one thing that I... I just remembered, like, uh, external secrets operator. Like, I think a lot of times that I see external secrets operator be mentioned, it, it is mentioned that a secrets management tool, and I think it's a bit dangerous to phrase it like that. It's a, it's a tool inside secret management space, because as Moritz was saying, like, secrets management is huge. I think everything around secrets, like, uh, everything around with architecting or infrastructure could be have have some influence on like secrets management somehow. So yeah, it, 
it's a, a tool inside secrets management space. What's really interesting is that as an engineer, I can tell you that I always start with my best intentions. Like I'm not going to leak my secrets, I'm not going to put them anywhere bad. But then as you don't know what to do, or maybe like it's difficult, you can't find a tool that can do it easily, you would just end up dumping in a plain text file or whatever, just to see if it works. And then you forget to clean it up or something like that. So like, definitely it's one of these like thankless jobs that, um, if you, if you do well, nobody can tell that you did it well, but poorly, you like, it has catastrophic repercussions, um, especially if it gets leaked, right? So I want to turn our attention, now that we understand the importance of good secrets management, I want to turn our attention to the project that you've been talking about, which is an external secrets operator that I hope, or I think can make this job much easier. Um, and it's a project that you both maintain and that we also use at Form 3. So uh, Moritz, can you tell us a little bit about it and what it does? Uh, you've already explained how you got into it and kind of like what the main idea behind it is. Yeah. So yeah, again, like generally it's um, built around the idea to pull secrets from some secure vault or storage into the cluster. And I understand the external secrets operator um, as just, it's just a tool that you can use to pull stuff into the cluster and then you can consume it with the Kubernetes standard me mechanisms that you have, like mounting it as, as a file in in a pod or in a container or consume it as an environment variable and stuff like that. Or also use it in an ingress resource. So it's, in my opinion, it's, it's just a toolbox that helps you to build the platform that you need, that your organization needs. Because it's Again, like from from all that consulting that I've done, I saw that that companies work very different differently in how they um, structure their tenants in Kubernetes platforms, how they structure their access to particular resources. Some some organizations they just share one vault across different engineering teams. Um, others they have like one instance per team, or maybe multiple instances per team, like one for each stage, like development, environment, staging. So there's like a lot of different possibilities and how you can structure um, secrets management and access to your secrets. And Secrets Operator just helps you to just map your requirements into, into Kubernetes and how to access these, these things. There's just one prerequisite that we just that you need to take that you have to store them in some secure place that's the the one thing that you that you have to do you can <laughs> i guess you can store it in like multiple in, in multiple store, stores but I, I guess that's not best practice but it sure it's it's also supported um, you can also also do that but that's like the one thing that you have to keep in mind um it's not that you you know just um like like the other tools that you have in that space, like Sealed Secrets or Secret Store CSI driver, which have like a completely different approach, which we can probably touch on later. Yeah, and a very important thing for external secrets operators is that like it's very important to keep secrets synchronized with the 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 source of truth. So like Moritz was saying, we are getting secrets from a, a very secure vault and getting them into Kubernetes secrets, but we are doing that recurrently. And then this is interesting because it's a nice quality of life thing. If you need to change secrets, you're just changing in a one place, in a single place that you trust. And this will happen everywhere that you need this to happen. But it's also secure in a way when you think about responses. Like if something is leaked, you need to like change everything. Like you change in a single place as well. And this is, will be, get synchronized and you have your environments with the new secrets. 
And then there's these new features that were implemented. They're in beta, but I think they are very interesting because they close the loop in this thing. So it's the push secrets and the secret generation. So you can make external secrets operator create the secret for you, put in the place and like keep it synchronized. And then this was very requested by people. I think it's like it delivers on quality of life and delivers on security in this aspect of like keeping things synchronized and easy to rotate and easy to see what they are. Yeah, I think it's just nice. Yeah, yeah we, we support like different um, cluster topologies. I think what came up in the, in the recent years is that you have like one central cluster that manages like all the clusters, your whole fleet of clusters. Like most of the time you have to inject secrets. So you have to push secrets to these, let's call them workload clusters. So you have to push them there um, uh, in order to manage them. And then, you know, everything else can can then come together on top of that. Especially if you use tools like uh, Crossplane or uh, Cluster API that helps you to not only to bootstrap the cluster initially, but also to provide the seed credentials in order to, you know, get everything else going. Like, for instance, if you if you use Flux, you you need some sort of GitHub token in, in these workload clusters in order to pull in your your good repositories that that hold all the manifests that you that you um, want to deploy, so you just need to like push that um, secret there as well. There are other options possible. You could pull that from the central cluster again, just to, you know, just um, um, turn turn it around. That would also work, uh, but you know, like there are different um, different requirements for for different companies. Yeah, just to to make things. Uh maybe a bit clear, like when we say like pushing to another cluster, we are considering a Kubernetes cluster a provider as well. So it's one of the providers that we implemented. So of course we have all the the big providers like from the three clouds and also uh, HashiCorp Vault, but then you have the option of considering a Kubernetes cluster a provider, external provider, and then you can push your sync secrets from a cluster to another. And this is something that external secrets operator helps you to do. So if you were to give me like a list of steps of how I could get started with using external secrets operator, just so we have an overview. Um, are you able to provide that for us, maybe Lucas? Yeah. So basically, initially, you decided on an external vote that you find secure and you trust. And so let's say you're using AWS secret management. And you want this to be your source of truth and all secrets that you use in a project uh, in your Kubernetes cluster will come from this this place. That's the one source of truth that you were talking about. Yes, yes. You need a, an external vault. And like besides AWS secret management, you can use Google Cloud secret management, you can use HashiCorp vault, or you can use Azure key vault. But here, let's say we're using AWS secret management and there you can create some kinds of secrets. Uh, you can use uh, create certificates or plain text six, uh, secrets and, and all. When you have an application that needs one of these secrets, you want a secret to be in your Kubernetes cluster. So let's say you install external secrets operator with a Helm chart. It's a single command line, like Helm install. And you will create some custom resources, let's say. You, uh, you, we have two. We have a secret uh, store and we have an external secret. So we are going to write an YAML, basically. In this YAML, you are going to like say, okay, this is the external provider that you are talking to. So the AWS secret management. This is the how to authentic authenticate to it. Maybe you're using uh, workload identity or you're using like simple 
uh, API keys and this kind of, uh, of authentication. So you're telling the operator what to do. And then on the external secret resource, you're going to write another YAML and you're going to say, okay, which secret to get from the external provider, where to put it inside the cluster, what's the name of the, the, like the final secret created inside the cluster, what data to get, and then you have some other options like how to transform this data if you want templating or like how often you're going to, to update this. Like uh, if it's like every hour, like every week, depending on your requirements. And these are the only things that you need. So you're creating external uh, secrets, you're creating a secret store, and you have a secret on an external source. And this secret will appear on your cluster, your application will consume it, and this will recurrently be updated. And you don't need to worry too much about like uh, updating the secret and like you have a reference in your Git repository to know where this is and like what's the name of the things and all that. So I think that's basically it. The more it's maybe. Yeah, there's there's one um, problem that, if, that you have to solve, which is like the initial problem, like the initial secret that allows you to access that secret manager. And you, know, you can use like static credentials for that, which is like a terrible idea. Uh, you, you don't want to do that. Um, instead, what you want to do, if you run on a public cloud provider like um, Amazon Cloud or Google Cloud, Azure, I don't want to name them all, but um, all of them, pretty much all of them um, support a, a thing that is called like workload identity. Some some providers call it differently in AWS. It's called um, IAM roles for service account or IRSA short. Um, you can leverage that. So what it is, it's essentially just a service account within Kubernetes and you can use that service account token to authenticate with your cloud provider and your cloud provider issues you a different token that you can then use to talk to secrets manager or whatever service that your cloud provider provides to you to manage these secrets. So this initial this initial secret problem is basically solved if you use workload identity, which we support for all different cloud providers. Currently, uh, for Azure, this is still in beta, I believe. Um, I'm not completely up to date, but I think it's, it's still in beta, but um, approaching GA soon. Um, and this is like the way to go if you are if you can, if you can use it, some other secrets um, provider or APIs also lets you use um, service account, like Kubernetes service accounts, to authenticate with them. One would be like HashiCorp Vault. It allows you to use those as well to authenticate with it. Yeah, and then like thinking about steps, like you mentioned, like some simple steps to to get used to to get it running, and then thinking about workload identity or RSA, like it's basically creating or using the service account and like creating some some relation with uh, the service account of the cloud as well, like uh, with IAM uh, identity. So it's basically telling like, okay, this service account will, will be cre creating tokens that uh, will give you access as this other uh, identity on the cloud. So you'll have like some comments like to run and then you can check the documentation and we give like a step-by-step -step on how to do this. It's different from every uh, provider, of course, and that there are some uh, things that are very specific, but it's basically like uh, not creating a secret, but thinking about the service account as being the identity of the cloud. <laughs> We'll link the documentation for external secrets operator in the episode notes and as well as in the write-up that we're going to do so our listeners can find it there. 
So what are some alternatives to um, your project and why should we choose to use external secrets operator? Uh, there is uh, Sealed Secrets, which is probably the oldest one. I think it dates back to 2017, like the, the initial commit from it, um, which was at that point in time like the de facto and also like the only solution at that point in time, I guess. What it allows you to do is to encrypt secrets and then you can store these uh, secrets in a Git repository and then you can like push these um, uh, with your favorite GitHub tool to a cluster and then you have a controller inside the cluster that decrypts that secret um, and creates a secret resource in the Kubernetes cluster. Oh, there's so many, like, we have to say secrets so many times, I'm so annoyed by that. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, like, this is the one solution, sealed secrets, so you encrypt a, a secret, um, store it in a Git repository, and push that to the cluster, and it gets decrypted there. This is the one tool that has, like, a, like different trade-offs to it. Like, one, you store it encrypted in a Git repository, which is probably, like, at least in my opinion, a pretty bad idea. Because, you know, that... Git repository can be leaked somehow. Like the recent breaches from Travis and CircleCI, they show clearly that once an attacker has a GitHub token, it is able to clone um, and exfiltrate uh, private Git rep repositories, which is like a, a big deal. And you know, if they have hold of that, these secrets, it depending on the strength of the secret that they use for encryption, and you know, however depends on how you do it. it, it may be possible that people may be able to decrypt it. And this is a big mess because you store it centrally in a Git repository and it may be exfiltrated. So this is like one risk that you have. Um, another issue that I have with, with that, well, I don't have an issue in particular with, with that project. It is like a completely valid use case. It is, it is a completely valid thing and I, I, I've seen it working for many different companies and it's a completely, completely fine thing to do. Um, another issue that I have with it is um, because you still need to manage the encryption and decryption key. So you cannot store those in the Git repository either. So it has to be stored somewhere. So where is it stored then? In some Slack thread, in some, I don't know, last part, last pass, one password. I, I don't know, like, depends. And then you, you have like the problem again, it's not stored centrally somewhere where you are supposed to have it. Uh, but, you know, you got to manage it somehow. Yeah, so that that's the one thing that you have. Oh, actually, like, you know, from from that consulting background, in my experience, it's it is very tough to discuss like secret management with infosec teams because there are so many people that are opinionated, and it's really hard to to make changes to the current approach that they have. Like in the past, I dealt with you know banks and insurances, and once they settle with a the solution, they just roll with it, and there's like it's really hard to to change that. Even if you have like good arguments, it's just really hard because people are hard like pretty pretty opinionated and it's hard to, to change their opinion on about something. So this is like pretty pretty tough space um, to, to operate in. The other project is uh, Secret Store CSI. Um, I don't know, Lucas, do you want to talk about that? Yes, yes. So yeah, Secret Store CSI driver, the difference between external secrets operator and Secret Store CSI driver, the main difference is that we marry with the, the notion of creating a Kubernetes native secrets on the, the cluster. And Secret Store CSI driver is meant like to be used so you can mount the external secret directly inside a pod, like without having like uh, Kubernetes native secrets, not having secrets on ATCD. This, uh, of course, has some pros and some cons, like seal secrets and like external secrets operators, secret source SI driver, sidecar injector. There are a lot of projects that deal with secrets. It's, it always comes down to requirements, like understanding 
what you need to, to, to do for your project and what compliances you need to like uh, adhere to, what company policies you need to, to pay attention to and all that. And this comes to like a very frequent question to us, like and, and some other like statements that we hear, like, okay, what's the tool that is se secure by design? And then Secret Store CSI Driver is brought up a bit because of this thing. It sounds very nice, like, uh, okay, you can mount the secret directly from the provider inside your pod. And then this is like uh, interesting. I think it's a super interesting uh, feature and I think it has a lot of uh, applications, but it it assumes some things that uh, I don't really uh, agree with, like because uh, Secret Store CSI Driver it still has some things in ETCD like we have, like a uh, secret source CSI driver are, is using the this uh, credentials or these uh, tokens to get the secret from the external provider into uh, the pod. So there's one of the things. So if you have ETCD compromised, and this is one of the things that uh, people have, um, how can I say, uh, concerns, with external secret operator or sidecar injector from Vault or with any solution that you have, it is, if it, it, it is compromised, you, you have all the, the environment compromised. And uh, the other thing is, it's another approach to, to, to the project. So the thing inside external secret operator, our providers are implemented in tree. So we have everything in the same repository. And it's basically implementing a, an interface and like implementing a few methods and the provider is done. And for external secret separate, or for secret source CSI driver, it is like uh, you need to create a project from scratch uh, to create a provider. So you need to, to understand how to integrate with their driver and do some like RPC calls and, and gRPC calls and, and all that. Uh, Moritz, you were talking about like this notion of uh, the bazaar and the cathedral. Uh. Yeah, there's this great book by um, Eric Raymond. I, I just <laughs> had to look it up because I can't remember the name. So yeah, there's like two different styles how, how you can run open source project. Like one would be the bazaar, which is you know it's just an open bazaar. People can just come in and talk to people and you know exchange goods, uh, exchange ideas, and stuff like that. Um, and this is like the the kind of project that we run. Uh, you know, everyone can just come in, jump in, add a new provider, um, fix some bugs, um, open up discussion about a feature that is missing or may be missing or may not be missing. Um, and in contrast to that, we have this um, like the 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 cathedral approach, um, where you have like a, a close circle of uh, maintainers or people who run that project, and it's kind of hard to to reach out to them um, because they they do everything in their ivory tower and they provide like very good quality software and it works and they also provide support to it which is like fine and good but it's really hard to extend it and to um, to build ideas on top of that so um, it's just two completely different approaches and it just has like different different trade-offs um, yeah we like that's just because um, the history of the project how it was um, how it was um, created in the first place like it's basically just a merger of different projects that I guess sort of led to that um, um, open source model that how we run it today with this bazaar kind of 
um, contributions going on. And I'm just pretty surprised that now we have like close to 200 contributors coming in. That's just, uh, for me, like unimaginable that we now just like approaching the 200 uh, contributor mark. It's just un unimaginable. And I think that's probably like the, the result of, of like merging different projects. Um, yeah, and just be, that helps like people to just jump in and, um, and help. Yeah. And this thing about like marrying with the notion of like creating a Kubernetes native secret, we like also leverage all the integrations that come with that. So all the all the other tools expect secrets to be in Kubernetes native secrets. So when you're thinking about Cert Manager or anything else, like secrets will be in Kubernetes native secrets. And then when you think about like keeping it secure, I think it's important to not always look at prevention, but also at response. So this thing that I was talking about uh, like uh, in the beginning of the, the podcast, um, it's important to have a way to like rotate things really quickly. Like it's nice to prevent and of course it's super important and you need to like be aware of good uh, access management and like uh, avoiding initial attack vectors and good identity and security boundaries. But uh, you need to assume that your secrets will leak someday. <laughs> at some point, one or two or uh, all your secrets in one year, 10 years or tomorrow. So, and then you need to have like a lot of measures and response statics to, to make this not be a big deal and like synchronizing things and like keeping this uh, rotating in a way that is easy to see. Like it's way in a way that everyone knows how it works. I think it's nice as well. And then this thing about like a, being easy to to implement a new provider like uh, uh it's also a great advantage for the project because now we support a lot of providers so we support Ashikop Vault AWS Secret Management and Parameter Store GCP uh, Secret Management Azure Key Vault Oracle IBM Kubernetes clusters Sensegura it's a very underground <laughs> solution from Brazil and then uh, some other clouds from other companies and and like we get contributions from the engineers from that that company but then in our code base and then we consider those contributors like a point of point of contact we put on our uh, documentation and okay this is the person that uh, will help us maintain this uh, this provider and then we consider some providers like, okay, these are internally maintained, like first party in a way, and these other are third party. And then we have a healthy relationship like with stability, like uh, making this commitment uh, with our users. Okay, these ones we maintain internally, all the maintainers like, are looking at support tickets and, and things. We worry about uh, security issues and maintaining this uh, client libraries updated and all that. But then these other ones, like we don't give that much of guarantee and we don't implement all the features for those ones, only the contributed ones, but then maybe someday this could be promoted and this kind of thing. So I think it's a, a nice thing that we built. And it's interesting because we got like a very, a lot of providers. It's even a bit uh, worrisome because <laughs> it's a lot of... Uh, yeah, we didn't yet. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, we didn't yet have the 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 case that we had to retire a provider. It's just you know, stuff works. I think the you know some of the not so well known providers they they are in tree and they they work, to my knowledge at least. I, they don't have like that that 
that high of a, a test coverage, so we don't have like integration tests that integrate directly with the provider APIs. Like for all the internally maintained, we have them, and for every PR, we check that we can actually talk to the AWS, Azure, etc. provider and make sure that we are able to read secrets, write secrets, um, and, and and all that stuff. That we are able to use workload identity. We actually spin up a, a Kubernetes cluster to make sure that we can use workload identity. So it's kind uh, pretty sophisticated. And for these like external providers, that's not the case. Um, they just lack that sort of um, test coverage. So uh, we didn't have yet the the case that we had to retire a provider, but at some point in the future that will be necessary, and we are not sure yet how we're going to deal that. Um, but we have a stability and support guarantee um, in which we um, basically tell users like you like whatever you use today and for the for the GA um, release that we'll be having soon ish. Uh, um, like things are not going to break, so. We are probably not going to remove providers, um, maybe just with a V2 um, resource group, maybe. Well, I'd certainly think that open source maintainers are like heroes that don't wear capes, you know, that expression. So um, I think a lot of people should be very thankful to not only you two, but like everyone who maintains open source around the world. As the last thing that we'll cover in this podcast, can you give us a little bit of an insight into the life of an open source maintainer? Like, what do you struggle with? What have been your maybe personal highlights of taking this journey on? Do you want to start, Moritz? <laughs> uh, sure, yeah, I can. So the biggest struggle is probably to keep up with a stream of messages that you get from the different channels, like email messages from GitHub, GitHub notifications, uh, Slack, stuff like that. That's pretty hard to keep up with, um, but it's Definitely like a, a skill um, that I've learned now where I just, you know, I don't know, even if you sit on a toilet, you just take a look at some issue. If you see, okay, it's easy, it's not easy. If it's easy, I'm just going to drop two lines and I'm done with it. So easy, <laughs> check mark, done. Um, for other things which like take more time to just, for instance, like reproduce some some bug that relates to workload and the, you know, you have to spin up a cluster and stuff like that. Um, then, yeah, then you know, just it takes like way more time to 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 do the research on that bug and to help there. So it definitely helps me um, to like manage my time efficiently. And like for me personally, I I do it that I just um, um, I have like very strict time windows where I say okay, like this is my open source time window um, that I have in the evening, maybe an hour or maybe like on Wednesdays on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, that's just the time where I just have time for it. And then I go through the, the most pressing issues and everything else just has to drop because I, I just cannot deal with all of it. So um, that's like definitely something that that I um, that helped me. Um, but it, that didn't like it didn't only help with my open source work, but also helps with my with my company work um, for my for my day job. Uh, to you know, like even here in Slack, like I get so many messages and f- issues and bug reports and things that need my attention. You know, it just it just helped me to um, to refine my my internal filter. Um, apart from that, um, I think it also helps me like on a, on a personal level because I'm more like an introvert. Sort of person, and I, I really hate networking. I hate to like approach people and saying hi and how are you, who are you, what are you doing. Uh, I'm not that kind of person who likes to do that. And now, maintaining or running an open source project kind of puts me into the place where I now I'm suddenly like find myself on on a stage um, uh, close to a panic attack, um, just uh, giving a talk. 
um, that puts me like in a different space, uh, in a different place where people approach me then, which is like very easier to deal with. Um, yeah, and that, that really helps um, and fulfills me and uh, just helps me to, um, um, and also motivates me um, to to run this open source project in my in my spare time. Basically, I think there's like an inherent issue in how open source works today, uh, thanks to like Open Collective and other things. Um, now we we can get funding for the project, so we. So someone, a company, pays the bills for our CI pipelines and helps us to meet at KubeCon. Um, like, for instance, um, Gustavo, he, he um, is also one of the maintainers. And he lives in Brazil, and he we really wanted that he he, he's, he, he comes to, to Amsterdam, to KubeCon, because we now have a have a stand there. Um, so we can all meet up, and now like, these these um, sort of funds now help us to, to come together and to, you know, um, help us in, in that end. Um, Do you want to add anything, Lucas? Yeah, so I think it, it means something different to, to different maintainers of the project. Uh, uh, I'd like to point out uh, that we have a maintainer that only maintains the IBM uh, part of, uh, of our uh, project. And he helps with testing and like making sure that all the client libraries and all the, the, the dependencies are up to date. Also up to date with perspective like uh, thinking about CVEs, so security issues. And then he pushes like, okay, we need to build a new image, update it because of this and all that. And then when we have pull requests, there are like IBM related, he helps with reviewing as well. But then he is very focused on that and, and, and this is fine. And then we have some other maintainers that like focus on more on PR reviews. And then we try to get and rotate to host the community meeting. And this is also something that uh, a maintainer can help with and with visibility, talking about the project and all that. So I think it means something different like to, to different people. And sometimes you don't have that much time. So you have a period like you cannot put any time on the project and then you come back and you have time again. And, you, and, and it, I think it's fine. But it's important like to coordinate and talk with everyone. So this is something that we are still learning like to, to, to do. And we were forced to think about all this and also about how to onboard new maintainers and how to like, okay, how do we decide the rotation of the, maintain, the, the community meeting and this kind of thing. And it's interesting to us because this is not like we, it's, it's, it's a free time thing. But it's a work thing in a way because it's very related, and it's super in interesting to to see how this develops and how we orga organize the work and organize the efforts inside the the project. And to me, it was like I got involved, uh, and this was very different and very exciting, and made me like pursue open source full-time. So now at Red Hat, I do open source on other projects. And it's interesting because now I do open source on my full-time, but then I have free time <laughs> free time for open source as well. And it's a challenge, of course, and it's hard to prioritize, but it's super rewarding. And it's super rewarding to see this kind of thing. So we have a booth, a dedicated booth at KubeCon. So we'll be there, we'll and it's like inside the CNCF space and we'll meet people and talk only about external secrets operator in this booth. And it's very, very uh, rewarding to see this happening. 
And of course, when we got accepted at a, as a CNCF uh, sandbox project, it was amazing because we saw this potential from the beginning. And we mentioned a few times, like without knowing that it will happen. And then we applied and it happened. So this is nice, like being part of this. And when you get involved, more things like this will continue to happen. And then you get this, uh, this sensation that is very nice uh, validation that is good. And then there's the technical thing, like uh, we are always uh, in contact with problems that are a bit specific to these kinds of pro projects. And uh, not only technical, but uh, also like, okay, now we are talking with other solutions to understand maybe integrations and, and this kind of stuff that has a bit of diplomacy and like a, a of organizing our thoughts and like, okay, we need to say this and this and that, and let's try to, to make this initiative go forward. So it's awesome to build this kind of scale, like for the, the, the day job as well, in a way, and try to use the day job skills in the open source world as well. So I think it's very interesting. And we are needing, actually in need of more maintainers because like we are three main maintainers, but we have some other maintainers, like I said, like focused on very specific parts. And we are like trying to come up with a very, uh, I don't know, comprehensive governance document, like, uh, and like to make sure that we can onboard people like as contributors and then make sure that they can like level up and become a maintainer and then help with, what they can and like help host community meetings, help uh, with code reviews, help with the things that they want to do basically, but also the things that are, how can I say, uh, maintenance heavy, like because it's not always like only the very complex and interesting issues, but also like helping cut a release, helping uh, with like shores, like helping with things that keep the project alive. So yeah, this is very important to us. And yeah, I think EX, uh, external secrets operator is a very interesting project for, for people to get uh, in this space because it has some very simple issues that people can pick up. Like implementing a provider is very, nowadays is a bit more complicated than in the beginning, but it's very simple. Like you just implement an interface, like implement the methods and that's it. And then there, we have like, things that could scale up in complexity. So you can have very interesting issues and issues that are easy to get onboarded into the project. So it's a very nice project to to be close to in the open source world. And we try like to like label the issues. Okay, this is a first good issue and we we won't be touching it. We want like this to be picked up for by the community so people can like get a contribution in and, and feel like we will helping the PR and, and all that. So I think it's it's very interesting. Yeah, we started this like two and a half years ago, like in the end of 2019 or 2020, somewhere around there. And like at the beginning, we had like no idea what we're doing. You know, like we're all techies. We, we know like how to write code and write tests and make sure it works and stuff like that. But everything else apart from that is like the the... I guess you can call it like product management and technical technical project management to make sure that we have like milestones and releases and stuff like that. But apart from that, like how do you even run or build a community? Like we had no idea what what we were doing, and it somehow came together without really 
like knowing what we were doing. I, like I for myself, I can only speak for myself. I still have no idea what we're doing and how that went, how we got here. Um, so that's like, um, yeah, but you know, like we still put a lot of effort into making sure that um, uh, this this project uh, succeeds in a sense that um, it, you know, like, that we are easily able to rotate maintainers and have like no issues if like someone leaves a company or so that it's just them able to um, to be like self sufficient and and just uh, like able to um, uh, go to the future. Yeah, I've heard from other maintainers that running an open source project is exactly like running like a small team or maybe like a big team. I suppose in your in your case, it's 200. So you have to like manage the project. You have to also like help them and like help them be successful. You have to solve technical problems yourself. So there's contribute to an open source project if it's not welcoming and not well documented. So you got to take care of, with, of all of that. It's a lot of work and I really, really appreciate your efforts. Thank you both for taking the time to come and chat to us and share everything about External Secrets Operator. Uh, are there any final shout outs or mentions you'd like to share perhaps for some of your amazing contributors? Yeah, sure. Like there's like financial contributors like Form3, Doppler, Pento, which um, provide funds to the project so we're able to pay our bills. Um, we have other uh, sponsors that sponsor engineering time, which is also super helpful, like Container Solutions and Engineer Better. They too like provide like a lot of engineering time to improve our product. Apart from that, definitely Gustavo and Sebastian and all the other maintainers and contributors to the project. Um, Orlin and Ben in particular, because they helped us to, you know, help setting up an open source project, um, providing a network that we can um, get, get like more info when it comes to marketing an open source project and uh, just helping generally with the setup and the governance of, of, uh, of an open source project. Yeah, I think also CNCF itself, because like the booth is provided by CNCF and all the supports and we got surprised by a lot of tick, uh, stickers on last KubeCon, and we didn't know that they would just print those by default, so that's nice as well. And also, Krinshi Stark, is, is, it was, he was a very, very nice proponent of external secrets operator inside of Red Hat, so yeah, I would like to thank him as well. Yeah, so if anyone is coming to KubeCon in Amsterdam, don't hesitate to visit uh, the external secrets operator booth and come say hi to Moritz and Lucas. I'll be there as well, so I'm excited about the event. All right, so thank you both for coming and uh, see you in Amsterdam. See you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Form 3 are looking to double the size of our remote-first engineering team. If you'd like to help the world move money faster and enjoy working on complex technical challenges using the latest tech, feel free to check out the careers page in the description.